Well, happy Pentecost Sunday. If you don't know what that is, the church calendar has actually more than Christmas and Easter on it. Um, Every year, the church sets aside time to remember what we call Pentecost, or when the Holy Spirit came and dwelled believers, and it's really the birthday of the church every year. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and it's interesting that in our our Kingdom Lifestyle series, we were already going to talk about the topic of confession and repentance. Everybody get excited, it's Confession Sunday. Yeah, you guys stoked? Um, We were already going to talk about this, and then all of this stuff has happened in the world in the last couple weeks that makes this very timely. And I want to say this. We're here on Pentecost Sunday where we celebrate the coming and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it's easy. Oftentimes we think of the power of the Holy Spirit in worship. We think of miracles. We think of signs. We think of the gifts of the Spirit when we think of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit also is the convictor of sin and the former of our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one who gently with the heart of a father, with the love of Jesus, says, this isn't good for you. This isn't in line with my will and draws us into the likeness of Christ. So when we talk about confession and repentance, as much as when we talk about miracles and worship and the proclamation of the gospel, we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, 1 John chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. You can go ahead and turn there if you got your Bibles. 1 John chapter 1. While you're turning there, you might have noticed we have a teaching team at the fold. I've been preaching a lot lately, um, rather than having a teaching team and a rotation, which is because of a scheduling error on my part. Um, that's my fault. But for the rest of this week, I'm super excited for you guys because our teaching team is going to be leading communion services and finishing out this series for the rest of June. And then hopefully in July, I will be scheduling things correctly and we will get back into our normal rotation. But I'm super excited. I'm excited that you get to hear from the rest of the teaching team for the rest of this month. I'm also, this isn't a sermon that I like dreamed about preaching, (laughs) but it is a sermon. It is a message that I'm glad I get to give in response to everything that's going on in the world right now. 1 John chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 5. It says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. When we talk about confession, we have to talk about it under the banner of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. We confess under forgiveness, not out of shame, but in pursuit of the goodness and beauty and righteousness of Jesus because he offers us forgiveness. Amen? That has to be the banner of this morning, or this morning's going to be really heavy. But if we see this through the lens of the cross, then we see an invitation into beauty. Let's pray. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us this morning. 
We ask that your word would ring true, that our hearts would be formed into your likeness, that we would respond to our own hearts and to the world around us in a way that reflects you and your character and your goodness, and that we and our world would reflect your kingdom more closely. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Well, this is the part of the sermon where I normally tell a ridiculous, probably embarrassing story or an anecdote that at least I think is clever to try to introduce the topic. But our introduction has kind of been written for us this morning um, as we talk about repentance. When we talk about repentance and confession, words that often are associated with that are words like lament and grief. And this morning, you are inevitably aware of the pain and tragedy that's going on across our world. You're inevitably aware that there is a war that is claiming lives and uprooting lives and wreaking devastation in Europe. You're inevitably aware that there are food shortages and supply chain disruptions that are causing hunger and interrupting people's lives and sense of well-being. You're inevitably aware that in the last few weeks there have been multiple mass shootings, senseless violence in which lives have been claimed. And if you watch the news, you're probably aware that in the Southern Baptist Convention, of which we are a part, was recently released a report that for 20 years, high leadership that does not reflect the will or the desires of the majority of Southern Baptists, but elected leaders nonetheless, covered up abuse, silenced victims, and protected themselves, often using words like gospel and mission to justify dismissing victims. A great evil has been done in the name of Jesus. So we start this morning with a posture of lament and with a posture as scripture instructs us of repentance. Because biblically, we don't only repent for our own sins. We repent for the sins of our people. We take the posture of Isaiah, who when he encountered the holiness of God said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. So to begin this morning, I want to read you a statement. And when we read statements, oftentimes when you hear an organization or a business read a statement about something, that's kind of their way of saying, here's what we think, now let's move on. That's not what this is. We want to begin responding not only to the tragedy in the world around us, but to the injustice in the name of Jesus with a foundation of lament and repentance. So this statement is framing how we will continue to respond as we work with our main campus in Boiling Springs and Wise Council and as we pray and seek the Lord of how to fight for justice and stand for the innocent and respond in concert with the kingdom of God with vulnerability, authenticity, and repentance. So this is the beginning This isn't the response. And in this response, it's really not so much a statement as it is a movement for us to participate in as a community. It's coming from the lead team. We wholeheartedly believe that the church should celebrate together. This is a very appropriate posture for most Sundays. But in response to tragedy in our world and deep injustice in our own denomination, this morning we will respond with a time of lament and repentance. For those of you unfamiliar with the word lament, it is defined in part in Romans when Paul writes, grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn. We see lament in Jesus' life. 
as he looks upon an unbelieving Jerusalem or on his friend Lazarus's tomb. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Lamenting isn't about giving quick or easy answers. It's ultimately about giving ourselves and others room to express deep sorrow and anguish to God, including the full range of our emotions. We choose to be present to our own pain and the pain of others, not being deniers of or escapists from reality as we take together a posture of communal lament and repentance as our basis of response. After each tragedy is read, we will, we will reflect in a moment of silence. This morning, we remember the horrific shootings that have been perpetuated in recent weeks, a marketplace in Buffalo, New York, an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, a church in Laguna Woods, California, a medical center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. At these very ordinary and usually safe places, over 35 men and women and children have been killed. We remember the war that rages on in Europe, a war that takes an unknown and catastrophic toll on not only the countries involved, but on the world. We remember the billions of people in crippling poverty whose suffering will only increase in light of an international food shortage and supply chain disruption. And we remember the victims and families of the victims of sexual abuse within our own denomination. These people have been silenced, dismissed, rejected, and marginalized for years by a few powerful and fearful men. Though we and the overwhelming majority of people within our denomination played no role in the scandal that's unfolding, we enter like Jeremiah into a posture of repentance for the sins committed by those in our community. Lord, when we have no words, you groan in our deepest being. We are speechless in the wake of such mindless evil and reckless hate. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord Jesus, have mercy. We want to continue in this with a moment of prayer. I believe the appropriate response for us as a community is to pray as a community. And we're also in a time, I want to acknowledge this, where thoughts and prayers can seem dismissive. They can seem like a way of acknowledging a tragedy without doing anything about it. But we respond in prayer, not because it's the only right response, but because it is a right response. And because we believe that prayer is effective and that God responds to the prayers of his people. And we believe that our prayers should lead us to partner with God in the remaking of his world into the image of his kingdom in every way that we can, in the bringing of his justice. Our prayers move the heart of God, and our prayers move our hearts into action in concert with God. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. What I'm going to ask you to do is to pray with me. If you're around people, you feel comfortable doing this, I would encourage you, lay your hand on someone's shoulder, pray together. If you would rather make this a personal time of prayer, if you'd rather not be with the people around you, that's totally fine. I would encourage you just to raise a hand in solidarity. If you're like, I still don't really know what prayer is all about, then that's totally fine. You're welcome to engage at whatever level you're comfortable with. But we believe prayer is effective. So I'm going to pray, but really I'm just going to pray to cover up you praying so that you have time to pray. Don't listen to me pray. 
pray out loud, pray quietly, pray however you want to pray. This is a time for us as a community to pray. And here's how we're going to do this. We are going to pray broadly for the injustice and the devastation and tragedy that's in our world, yes. And we are going to pray specifically that God would bring justice on behalf of the victims of abuse within the church, that God would bring reform so that it may never happen again, and that God would empower us to participate, and that God would comfort and heal and restore in the miraculous grace and healing of his Holy Spirit those who have been harmed. That's what we're praying for, all right? So let's pray together. If you want to pray on your own, if you want to kind of join a group around you, however you feel comfortable, we're responding with prayer in this moment. Holy Spirit, we come to you with heavy hearts today because of the burden of injustice. We come to you knowing that we are feeling just a moment of the great burden that you feel every day. We know that you are a God who grieves and that you are a God who is moved with passion and is moved to respond to the prayers of your people. So Jesus, we cry out to you on behalf of those displaced by war, those hurt by violence, those suffering, and those hungry. And Jesus, we cry out to you on behalf of those who have been abused in your name. God, we ask that you would vindicate your name and save those who have been victimized. We ask that you would bring justice and transformation and healing and reformation. God, we ask that whatever it takes and whatever the cost and whatever part we play, that we would be your people bringing your justice in the world, that we would not tolerate evil being done in the name of our Jesus who died, that we would not tolerate it, Jesus. Bring your justice, bring your comfort, bring your mercy, bring your healing. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, We cast our burdens on you, not so we can escape them, but so we can handle them. Amen. For the rest of our teaching time this morning, this isn't really going to be a sermon. It wouldn't really seem fitting with who God has called us to be in this community to respond to great tragedy and injustice by just going back to normal and telling some jokes and preaching a word. I just want to talk to you about repentance. Is that all right? I just want to talk to you about repentance this morning. Repentance, biblically, is the process of turning away. When we see repentance, literally, what we, what we see is that we see what something is and we reject it. We go the other way from it. When we talk about repentance, there there are two ways, especially when we talk about repentance in the wake of extreme tragedy or injustice within the church, there are a couple ways that we tend to respond. Some of us, our, our default reaction is to hold up a mirror to ourselves, and, and we say, God, this sin can get, no one is above sin. Anyone can fall. And we turn towards personal and internal repentance, which is good and which is right. Because the people of the kingdom are people who hold ourselves to the standard of Jesus, not in guilt and shame, but in pursuit of his righteousness and his ways. 
We are people who live in vulnerability and authenticity, always looking at self when we look at others. But sometimes when we respond internally, we can miss the justice that needs to come externally. We can miss the opportunity to stand for change in our decision to hold ourselves personally in repentance. Another way that we tend to react sometimes is to look externally. These things cause outrage. This tends to be my reaction. I tend to want to look at other people and get angry. How could you? How dare you? I don't want to say this is also good at times. It might be called righteous or godly anger. And when we look at the great movements of justice throughout our history, when we look at the abolition of slavery, civil rights, women's suffrage, what we often see is Christians, followers of Jesus, who said this can't happen anymore. We won't stand for it. And that outrage led them to action. And they did something about it. In almost all of these great movements of justice, believers in Jesus and followers of his way have been the movers in these moments. But sometimes when we respond externally, when we look at systems and we say, you must be held accountable, when we look at leaders and we say, you must be held accountable, we might miss looking at ourselves. Kingdom people are people that that I think we could say hold up a magnifying glass to the world, not in judgment of individuals, not to cast condemnation or shame on people, but we look at systems that abuse, systems that defend self, that wreak injustice, and we say that has to go. We say that something has to change. We're also people who hold up a mirror, who look at ourselves and we respond to ourselves in line with the way of Jesus. We're people that repent personally and corporately. So as we talk this morning, you're going to notice that everything that we talk about, everything in response to confession and repentance, can be applied personally, it can be applied to communities, it can be applied to organizations and structures. Because anything that bears the name of Jesus, is meant to reflect his kingdom. Everything that bears the name Jesus should reflect his kingdom and his ways. I think there are, as I've been kind of processing this this week, and just for the record, you might have noticed that in the the scripture that we read, I've been talking about repentance, and the word repentance isn't mentioned. That's true, but sin is mentioned. And biblically, when we talk about sin... The response is repentance. The response is to turn away. So if we're talking about sin or sin being identified, the implication in the text is that we repent of it. And when we talk about repentance, I think there are a couple maybe issues or or misconceptions that we have about repentance. Uh, And the first one is that we like the idea of change. We love before and after stories. We like the idea of transformation but we really like the idea of being able to be in control of that change. We want to be able to notice what's wrong, make an adjustment, and hope no one else noticed. When I was in college, I played bass um, in a couple worship bands and like an indie rock band. No, I will not show you our music. I'm hoping it's not on Spotify anymore. Um, 
<laughs> I played bass in this band, and I figured out pretty quick. Oh, by the way, do you know what they call somebody who hangs out with musicians? A bass player. Yeah, you get it. Um, <laughs> shout out to you, Micah. Love you, man. Micah also plays bass. He's a real musician, though. Um, <laughs> I figured out pretty quick that if you play bass and you hit a bad note, most people don't really know what bass sounds like. So as long as you don't make a face, nobody knows it was you. So if you just keep grooving, people hear a bad note, and they're like, what, that sounded weird. Everything looks fine, though. It's probably the lead singer's fault. (laughs) Or they just think, oh, I must have misheard. Like, at times, when you're playing bass, because people don't really know what bass sounds like, you can just turn your volume knob all the way down and pretend like you're playing, and people will be like, it sounds different, but, I I mean, everything looks fine. And then when you find your place, you can turn the volume back up and just jump back in, right? And people will think they misheard. Um, Yeah, uh, you can use that if you ever learn to play bass. Um, I think that's how we, we want repentance to be, though, is, is we want to be able to look at our own lives and say, ugh, I didn't like that. That wasn't, that wasn't the way of Jesus. That wasn't good. I hope nobody noticed. Let me just, like, get out of the way, make sure that I'm not making a scene, and, and I'll take care of that. We know there are bad things in our lives that we don't want, We want to repent of them, but we don't like to be known for needing repentance. We don't don't want to be known. We want to be seen as healthy while we pursue being healthy, while we get over our sickness. We want to be seen as righteous while we overcome our sin. So what winds up happening is we try to repent without confession. The other thing that I think happens is that we view repentance as an innately negative thing. We view repentance as something that you don't want to have to do. If you have to repent, that means you did something wrong. So obviously, if we want to repent secretly, then why would we ever want to repent publicly? Obviously, if we want to change on our own, why would we ever acknowledge to everyone else that we've fallen short? Repentance is a bad thing. It means something bad happened. And sometimes it does, for the record. Sometimes it does. And then we get in this weird place where because we tend to keep things secret and we tend to keep things hidden, when somebody does repent, our reaction is like, man, if that's what they're telling us, I wonder what they're not telling us. You know, like... If that's what they're willing to go public about, can you imagine what the secrets are? And I think it comes from a, a misunderstanding of sin that most of us, I don't, I don't know that it was ever taught to most of us explicitly, but we've intuited it somewhere along the way. We've picked it up, and it's this idea that sin is a cosmic grading scale. That God said, I want them to be loyal to me, so here's how they're going to pass the test. I want them to do this, and this, and this. And if they don't live up to the standard, then they fail. They've fallen short. They have failed. They've done wrong. But wrong is just based on God's decision. So obviously, we don't want to admit that because it's just admitting failure. And I don't want to undersell sin or repentance here because there is a degree to which sin is failure. But it's what we're failing at or what we're falling short at that matters. Because sin is not God sitting up in heaven saying, man, they are never going to get this right. (laughs) 
they'll never be able to do this. It's not God saying, well, I need them to prove that they care a little bit, so at least make them do this. No, sin is God saying, here is the right and beautiful and good and, and holy. All of these words that mean good, what you were created for, joy, hope, peace, kindness, those types of things. The, this is what you were created for. Sin is missing it. So sin does harm. It does damage. And we, we know that that's the case about the big things. It's harder for us to admit it about the small things. It's really easy to look at the big issues of lust that leads to abuse and say, how could they? It's harder for us to look at a struggle with lust personally and acknowledge that it also turns human beings into objects and turns our minds into basically data screens where we're no longer able to interact with people on a human image of God basis, but we see them as giving us pleasure inputs, robs people of their humanity, even if it never leads to abuse. We don't see those types of things because we see sin as this grading scale. Ah, messed up. Throughout church history and throughout scripture, one of the analogies given for sin is disease, sickness, wounding, cancer. These are the analogies that we've used throughout our history. So we need to change our perspective because you would never, if you were broken your leg, even if you did, even if you did it to yourself, even if you knew you should have never been on the jet ski and you broke your leg anyway, you're not going to go to the doctor and pretend like you're not limping and hope that you can just heal it on your own. No, you're going to go to the doctor and say, broken, cast it up because I want to walk right. Of course, right? Because that's how we respond to wounds. That's how we respond to sickness. You don't get sick and then pretend you're not sick and avoid the doctor. You get sick and then you take medicine or vitamin C or whatever you've got to do. You try to get better. You say, I've got an illness and I want to be healthy and whole. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to pursue healing and wholeness. See, this is what repentance really is. Repentance is saying this thing is killing me. This thing's hurting the world around me. I'm going to turn away from it. I don't want any more of that in my life. I don't want to do any more damage. When we repent, repentance should, listen, repentance is never going to be fun. We're never going to have a day where it's like, man, I cannot wait to notice all of the things I'm doing wrong. But our perspective should be and can become, I am so happy that I now see this thing that's causing harm because I don't want any harm in my life. I don't want anything that keeps me from everything God has for me, so I cannot wait to repent of that. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, our response can be, thank you, Jesus, that you showed me that thing. if our perspective of repentance changes. But if we never embrace confession, then we never fully repent. Um, I want to illustrate this as clearly as I can. This is going to be really cheesy. Just be prepared for that. This is going to be really cheesy, all right? Uh, Can you turn the lights off? All right, it's not like super dark in here, but you can imagine what it would be like if it was pitch black. Can you imagine trying to change directions? 
if it were completely dark in here? All right, sometimes the, the light switches are in the worst places in this room, so oftentimes I have to come in here and literally find my way in the dark, trip over a couple of chairs, stub my toe, and then find a light switch to turn it on so I can practice the sermon. This is what it's like to repent without confession. This is why John says, live in the light as he is in the light. It, there is no darkness at all in God, so if you want to have fellowship with him, you've got to walk in the light. Because if you're not walking in the light, then you're moving away from God. And that's why he, in the same thought, talks about confession, because confession is turning the lights on. You can turn the lights on, Brian. Confession is now being able to see this is exactly what I didn't want, and I need to go that way. Confession literally, biblically, would mean to tell the truth about ourselves. We don't just confess sin. You might have heard the phrase confession of faith. We tell the truth about the things we believe. You might have heard someone say, I finally confessed my love to her because we tell the truth about how we feel. Confession is telling the truth about ourselves. And we cannot repent until we tell the truth because until we've turned the lights on, we won't really know what we're repenting of. We'll be trying to change directions in the dark, and we will still be just as lost as we were when we started. The way of Jesus is the way of light. It's the way of confession. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you this morning that kingdom people are people who like post their sins on Instagram or something like that. That's, that's not the point. The point is that kingdom people are people who live without secrets. Can you imagine what it would be like to never be worried when someone says, hey, can we talk? Because you don't have any secrets. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what it would be like to not have anything that you wonder, man, what's going to happen if they find out? Because you've already told somebody. See, that, that's what happens when things go unconfessed, is the longer they go unconfessed, the more weight they have, the bigger of a deal it is that they're not confessed. But when we confess right away, that thing doesn't have time to grow and fester and take control of our lives when we confess. So what I'm telling you is that, that you need someone you can confess to. You need someone you can walk in the light with. It could be a spouse. It could be a close friend. It could be a pastor or a small group leader, somebody. We all need somebody that knows everything about us. And just to be as explicit as I can be, because I think this is a big deal, confession means telling the truth. So if yesterday I yelled at my wife and said something very unkind to her, saying, hey, babe, I made some mistakes, you know, I'm sorry, is not confession. Confession is yesterday I said this to you and I knew it would hurt but I did it anyway. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. That's confession. Confession isn't, you know what, man? Like, I mean, I've been struggling a lot lately, you know, so I've messed up a couple times. Confession is, I've got to get rid of my phone, man, because I can't keep my mind pure. That's, confession is telling the truth. And once again, I'm not saying that you need to confess publicly. I'm just saying you need to confess to somebody. You need someone who can hold you accountable who believes in you and believes in the way of Jesus and actually believes that the way of Jesus is beautiful and good and will say, you know what? Yeah, you do need to get rid of your phone because this is killing you, man. 
we have to live in authenticity, in the light, with nothing to hide. This is, you know, did you know that confession throughout church history has been considered a spiritual discipline, just like prayer and Bible reading and fasting? Like this is what Christians did to form their hearts into Christ's likeness? Just as transformative as like spending time with the Lord every day? Confessing sins, because it's telling the truth to ourselves and to people around us. And listen, I guarantee you, most of us in this room, you've got a secret that you are scared that someone's going to know, and you're scared of what they're going to think when they confess, when you confess. But when you say it out loud, you're going to realize that that thing doesn't have any power over you. And that person says, you know what? I still love you. I still want to get coffee. I still want to hang. I still believe in you. That is going to transform your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit in in community because you're turning the lights on. You're able to see and change your mind. Turn away. All right, this is the last thing because I've been just talking for a while. But you might be thinking, okay, I see how this is like helpful and healthy for me as a person, but how does this form my heart and how does this affect the kingdom? How does the kingdom of God come to the world through confession? How does the gospel go forward through confession? Here's what it's like. How many of you have seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Yeah, all right. There are love-hate relationships with that movie. Usually husbands love and wives hate, um, just for the record. It's what I've observed. There are exceptions, not many, but there are some. Um, I thought about showing you this scene, but there are gratuitous amounts of fake blood in this scene. So I just figured I'd show you a picture instead. It's going to be up here on the screen. Um, Some of you remember this scene where King Arthur fights the Black Knight. Um, The Black Knight's like, you cannot cross. And King Arthur fights him and cuts his arm off. And he's like, your arm's off. And he's like, it's only a flesh wound. I'm horrible at at impersonations, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Your arm's off. And then they keep fighting, right? And then his other arm's gone. And they keep fighting. He's like, it's only a flesh wound. And then he loses his leg. And then he loses his other leg. And finally, the Black Knight's on the ground. And King Arthur's like, clearly I won. And he's like, I'll bite your kneecaps off. (laughs) It gets ridiculous because clearly the Black Knight is wounded, but he won't admit it. Do you see the illustration here? Everybody knows Christians are wounded. There's a reason why nobody's surprised when there's another big church leader in a scandal. The world doesn't need people who pretend like they are healthy. The world needs people who admit that they are broken. The world does not need a church pretending like it doesn't have any sin in it. The world needs a church that says, this is our sins, and we are turning away from them. The world needs a church that says, I am going to get healthy, whatever the cost. My reputation doesn't matter. Jesus does. So I will repent and confess at the moment of sin. Because the world is looking at the church, and they're saying, They're clear, like their arms off. And we're saying it's only a flesh wound. It's not really that big of a deal. And Jesus is saying, I want to help you walk again. I want you to have healing. I want you to walk in wholeness. I want you to experience the goodness of the kingdom of God breaking in and invading every corner of society. But until you admit that there's darkness, we can't turn the lights on. 
when we as individuals, as communities, as corporations, as organizations live in confession, we tell the world a different story. C.S. Lewis said that one of the best apologetic tools, one of the best arguments for the gospel is that the resurrection of Jesus and the hope of eternity with him is the most beautiful end to the story of humanity. I love that. That might not make sense to some of you. I absolutely love that. We need to tell people the story of healing. With our lives, we need to tell people the story of confession and healing and repentance and transformation. And maybe, maybe if we tell the world that story, they'll realize it's not a story, it's a prophecy. And everything is going to be made right. And they will see the way of Jesus and be captured by his beauty and his goodness. But it will not happen if we pretend like everything's fine. Let's pray. Jesus, you invite us to a better way, a way that we don't often like or want because we cannot see the damage that's being done. So God, I ask that you would bring every sin to light that needs to be confessed. I ask that you would look at your church You would look at your people, the bride that you love, and you would purify us, whatever it takes and whatever the cost. God, I ask that we would be so captured by your beauty, by your goodness, by your love, that we would be quick to confess because we want every ounce of beauty and goodness you offer. And we will praise you because you are making us like you, the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you. Amen.